Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 5, Indiscretion, teleplay by Nicholas Correa, or Correa, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that name, and directed by LeVar Burton. This episode aired on October 23rd, 1995. I know how to pronounce one of those names. Yes, me too. <laughs> this week on Deep Space Nine, Kira and Dukat search for the six-year-old crash site of a Cardassian freighter that was carrying Bajoran prisoners. Also, Cisco deals with Cassidy moving onto the station, a new development in their relationship. Ooh. Or as you could consider it, a big step. <laughs> a very big step. So, <laughs> so Elise, did you or did you not remember this episode? I remembered this episode. Yay! Whoa! Um, I'm not what about it that you remember the most? The part where Ducat sat on the spiky thing and had to like rub that thing on his ass, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> the best part of the episode. <laughs> Um, I think I re- specifically remembered that episode because it brought some levity to this uh, otherwise more serious episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. At least the A plot anyways. Yeah. So, like, B plot isn't not serious, but also it's it's treated kind of with a, that kind of comedic yeah. touch. Yeah, it has like a little like, bit of a interpersonal drama in an amusing way. With Ben and Cassidy and, and everyone on the station knowing, like, what's going on with them. <laughs> uh, such such gossips. I mean, that's that's Deep Space Nine. I mean, yeah. that's, like, you know, what are a collection of queer people but, you know, knowing everyone's business persevering. Yep. Mm. I would say that of all the people, I feel like the only non-queer people on Deep Space Nine are probably Cisco and O'Brien. I don't. Not to, like, pick out everybody, but, like, they don't read as queer to me. But, yeah, the rest of them do. But O'Brien's still The, the same O'Brien? The same O'Brien that told Julian that he wishes his wife was a man? And more like Julian? That, that O'Brien? <laughs> you have a very good point, and I'm going to rethink my um, opinion. <laughs> I forgot about that, even though that was, like, very recently. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I think I mean, I think Odo reads to me as pretty straight, but like that's fair. Odo is like a genderless goo person. I think that's so, why like, Odo didn't even like. I mean, no, he's not me. genderless because he has a gender presentation. He's like, I don't. It's he's a he's a goo person. Um, but obviously his his gender presentation is is very masked. Yes, but. you're right. But because he's goo, I didn't even like think about it that way. Speaking of Odo. <laughs> I know we know that he has feelings for Kira. Like, we, we you know, we saw the episode where um, he was Heart tricked into uh, admitting that. Um, but in general, I really enjoy their friendship and how it's been. Like, even if he thinks her search for her friend is hopeless, he's being very supportive of her. And I just think that that is... The way he talked to Kira in that scene at the beginning of the episode before she went away is, like, how I want to be towards my friends, you know? Like, unless Kira was going into a situation where she was going to injure herself, like, 
yes, I will support you in your search for your friend. I hope you, I hope you have good luck and find them. Like, that's just how I feel. It was really nice. I think, too, that a lot of the themes of this episode and kind of tying some of the plots together and and those moments, like, it has to deal with the idea of how to support, you know, a romantic partners, a friends, et cetera, et cetera, like, their own agency and their own situations, despite however we feel about the situation and what we do or not do or, like, how how we're feeling. And, like, I think... The Ben and Cassidy um, discussing big step relationship drama, fear of commitment, not fear of commitment, you know, whatever. It's like ultimately it's about Ben realizing that Cassidy has her own agency and can support that. And like even though like things could impact him, it's like her life and it's not all about him. And I think in this moment you're talking about with Odo and Kira Odo might think and or does think that it's kind of a, you know, a wild goose chase and, you know, whatever, but he supports Kira and he knows Kira needs to, like, search that out for herself, right? So I think there's definitely some similarities to be had there, too. And, like, there's the whole idea, and I was trying to, I was trying to think about, like, Ducat in this episode and the ways in which he's all about power and control and, you know, manipulating to kind of come out on top and even, you know, allying with the civilian government and like all of those things. And like the way he perceives himself as the, the, you know, (laughs) occupying governor, prefect or whatever of Beijing versus, you know, the reality of it. Um, But it's, it's this, it's sim, it's not the same as Ben, obviously, but it's the ideas of like power and, and and control aren't dissimilar from I think how Ben is reacting in this because the idea of like his apprehension of the relationship progressing is him opening himself up to that loss of control to you know the potential of being hurt if the relationship goes south and trying to like minimize that risk by controlling the situation to ultimately the detriment of himself and Cassidy and, you know, (laughs) Julian and Jadzia counseling him through it. You know what I mean? Uh, I love Julian counseling anyone about relationships. (laughs) Sorry. I know that was not the point. This is new Julian. This is like chill Julian. This isn't like horned up, like, you know. No, I very much love this Julian so much. Um, it's really funny. Like, because he's that, he's that way for, for O'Brien, too. I mean, he's, you know. He's matured. Yeah. He's seasoned a bit. Yeah. He's I, cooked a little longer. Um, I'm going to assume that based on the fact that there is no counselor on Deep Space Nine, that he just, like, also has, like, psychiatric and psychological training as well. So he can give advice because he um, is a doctor. <laughs> I mean, he took a... He took a Mental health extension course right after his <laughs> mental uh, health his engineering extension course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's like I don't know. It's apologies to any psych psychology majors <laughs> that are listening to this, but it's like first year psychology students who come home after the first yes, semester yes. and like are diagnosing all their friends oh and like God. I think you have this blah blah blah, and it's just like okay, Shut bro, the fuck like, up, please. <laughs> yeah. Um. I was just thinking of it from, like, an RPG standpoint. Like, he has, like, the beginnings of, like, a therapy skill tree or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. 
I'm laughing that I understand how RPGs work more now that I don't participate in them anymore. Well, I mean, you're playing Mass Effect, right? Like, that right. has the skill tree stuff in That's it, That's true, but like I meant, like, where I have to use my imagination, I guess. Oh, uh, okay. I'm not good yeah, at that yeah. aspect of it, but, like, I like it in general. We're just figuring things out about Elise here today. And, I mean, I think, like, sometimes you have to do theater of the mind stuff, like, in a tabletop RPG, like, whether it's in person yeah. or online. But at the same time, it shouldn't ideally for me be all theater of the mind because then like it wanders like you need something to look at like and like you know your maps or your you know your dungeon maps and your minis and like no totally and i think for me the issue is more like when it was online only because when i played it was audio so i can't even look into the face of everyone that i'm making shit up about so that really is hard for me to like not see that my friend is laughing because they think it's funny rather than like thinking i'm an idiot you know? Yeah. 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 Lots of anxieties. So speaking of anxiety, <laughs> Ben, he's a little anxious. A little uncomfortable and nervous. Yeah. <laughs> why why do you think he reacts the way he does to you know, the idea of like Cassidy advancing her own career, but then being around more and potentially at like advancing their relationship or you know the opportunities there i mean it's hard to come up with something separate from what was said in the episode for me like he does go into the fact that it's brought up some things about jennifer for him but i didn't it didn't occur to me that that was why while i was watching the episode until he specifically said it um yeah i thought i mean obviously jennifer would always be in the back of his mind um but I didn't think it was like I was worried about you being close to me would affect you, your safety. Like, I wasn't thinking of it from that perspective. I thought because he had been married and, you know, she had been killed, that he mm-hmm. just hadn't considered getting into something that serious um, before. Yeah. And I think that, I mean... Jake has basically orchestrated this relationship for him. And and I don't mean that negatively because you can see that Ben and Cassidy genuinely care for one another. He just needed a little bit of push. Um, Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a find. Catch me a catch. I will watch that eventually one day. Um, And... That's still true here where, you know, Jake is, like, talking through it with him. And I think... um, Oh, there's even a Yenta joke later in the notes. Sorry. No, I didn't mean to burn pod. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, Yenta is just, like, a word in my vocabulary. And it's not really associated with any musicals for me. But, yeah. I didn't even make that connection because, like, Yenta is just a word I use. (laughs) Um... So I think he's just scared and hadn't thought about it before. So I think that her saying, like, I'm going to take this job and, and be closer to you all the time is not that he doesn't want it. I think he just hadn't considered it a possibility. So, like, he hadn't had time to, to think about it, even though he reacted poorly in the moment. Um, what he should have said was, I'm excited for you. And then, like, also, you know. I need some time to think this over. Um, I think that would have been better than saying it's a big step. 
Yeah, yeah. I he, you're right. I think he's just reacting in that moment. Yeah, but without like, where I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and where I think a lot of this is like coming from in the the discord in like the relationship is like ultimately I think it circles back to communication communication and like awareness of our own selves thoughts feelings how we're like you know because like they could have talked it out after he had said that that reaction but it kind of went off the rails a bit a bit there and like escalated whereas like ideally at that moment it's like okay you where you'd go on a journey with your partner and talk about those feelings and where they're coming from and you know even if it didn't come to a resolution then it's that open sharing and that kind of trust that's that builds and that sort of like emotional intimacy that everyone's working on right and i think um i mean part of the issue is that Dax, who is who I'm calling a Yenta in this episode, um, is very presumptuous, I think, in suggesting that Cassidy stay on Deep Space Nine. Like, obviously, that is something that could happen if she's working in the sector and that way she doesn't have to live on the ship. Although, who knows? It could be. I mean, I doubt it's that nice of a ship, but she implied it was old in a previous scene. But I think the difference between Dax and Jake is that Jake would have said that to his father privately and Dax says it in front of everyone and like has to meddle and I she means well but I also think that they have her do that you know for sake of making this there's a couple things in this episode that seem very silly to me that are like only done just for the plot and Dax saying that in front of both of them is probably one of those things Uh and I don't know if that's Uh me just being cynical or whatever but I love it, and it's really funny to watch them, him squirm a little bit, um, Ben. But I do think that Dax suggesting that to Cassidy in front of Ben is very weird. And if my friend did that, I would be angry at them. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the co- idea that, like, <laughs> no one on Deep Space Nine, like, has privacy. Yeah. Because <laughs> Quark just, like, invites himself into that conversation. Yes. Um, yeah. Later, later, um, you know, when Ben's talking with Julian and Jadzia, um, and I almost feel like, I almost felt like the, having Julian and Jadzia just, like, discuss this with, um... Ben, while he's just, like, making this grumpy face, is, like, almost... I know that Dax has been married many times, but I and I harp on this all the time. Like, Julian has not been in any successful relationship that we have seen so far. So just the idea of him giving, like, relationship advice is very funny to me and almost feels like they're trolling me. Um, <laughs> but I do think that he is basically stating the obvious here just saying like that you know it's a big step could be open to interpretation like he's not he's not saying anything groundbreaking here um i really think this whole scene with them um talking about it is really just to get quark in and and be like really obnoxious and frangy and be like yeah you should be threatening to see her less when she wants to see you more and it's just very frangy and silly and even though we don't get a lot of cork in this episode, I thought that was good use of him. But it's, you know, they did give him good advice, Julian. He said, if you want her to stay here, you should tell her. <laughs> Which, you know, communicate is good. Yeah. In the in the end of the this plot, basically, Ben talks to Jake again, who usually, in my opinion, gives him the best advice. 
because it's usually like just be honest (laughs) um and we learned that jake has discussed this issue with nog and that they um i just love the idea that these two teenage boys are like discussing like jake's dad's romance and that they just have boys (laughs) like telling each other what's going on in their lives and like having conversations and opening up and that's one of the things i love about jake and nog's relationship that they're just there's no like no homo like weirdness between them they're just they love each other and they just they're friends and it's really great um but yeah and it's funny because everything that jake tells ben like we were talking about this and we think you should just be honest with her and tell her you know what you want and Ben says to them, oh, did you say this to Cassidy? And he was like, no, we thought it would be better if you did. And I appreciate that because, you know, you don't want to be going back and forth between two parties. (laughs) Like, let those people talk it out. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I really liked about this is after Ben finally apologizes to Cassidy and explains to her what was going on in his mind throughout the day, I guess, because this whole thing happened in like one day, basically. It was like, or maybe the next day. Um, I really, really loved that Cassidy took the job with the Bajoran Ministry of Commerce anyway. She was not going to let whatever Ben thought or did affect her decision that would be good for her career. Um, So I just thought that she was, they really portrayed her as a smart woman that's going to do what she wants. And that made me really happy. Yeah. And like, even like the advice that, jake slash not give ben like it goes back to like ben getting out of his own way and realizing that yeah he's has feelings and emotions that like you know he's processing but like that shouldn't be at the extent of like whether he chooses or not to tell cassidy she should or shouldn't take that job like that's cassidy's decision in her own agency right and it's like not it's not not about ben and his feelings like his feelings are valid but like just because he's uncomfortable with it doesn't mean she shouldn't do what's best for her. Exactly. Right? I think she really had Ben thinking she wasn't going to take the job now. Yeah. Or Ben had himself thinking that. <laughs> well, I feel like there was... Well, because I think Jake said that one line where, like, you know, Cassidy thinks you don't want her to take the job. So I think he interpreted that in his mind to mean that she wasn't taking yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I'm glad those two cuties worked it out. <laughs> exactly. So for our A plot, if we don't have anything more on the B plot, <clears throat> Kira is planning to look for the lost ship, the Ravenock, and Cisco comes and tells her that the Cardassians found out that she was going to do this and want a representative from their government, as it's their ship, to go with her. And she's like, they can go separately. Like, what the hell? Um... This is another part where it just felt like plot reasons to make them, to make Kira and Dukat have to travel together and be in the same story. I think it would have been fine if Kira just, like, showed up there and Dukat just, like, happened to be there as well. But I think they wanted to have the scene where she was like, you know, my shit, my rules, blah, 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 blah. So I might be a little cynical about this. Um, And it is a little funnier to have... It's hard for me because, like, on one hand, I'm like, yeah, it is funny to have them interact with each other and, like, laugh and and be somewhat normal. But on the other hand, I'm like, can you imagine, like, you know, 
a Holocaust survivor chatted up with their Nazi overlord. Like, I just doesn't make sense to me. But within this episode, it was it was amusing, I guess. I don't know. I, I have to put that kind of thing out of my head sometimes when they have the Cardassians, Dukat especially, um, dealing with the Bajorans. Like, I have to break my brain a little bit. Yeah, the the writers seem to really like the oil and water dynamic of Ducat and and Kira together, um, and we we've seen them being thrown together in, in scenes like this before, and like it's definitely will like continue. Yeah. Um, and I don't hate but, it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I don't hate them in the same scene. It, it's usually amusing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to choose my words carefully because now I'm remembering of like a couple of years ago. Do you remember when I I said something about their dynamic and and referenced comments in the What We Left Behind documentary? Oh yeah. And then the Mark Alamo stands came for me oh in my, my mentions. God, that was fucking crazy. It was like chill out, please. Um, yeah, there are definitely Mark Alamo like militant stands out there. Things I I didn't expect. Um, Ellie has some opinions on that. I'm realizing now. Um, as she shook her collar. <laughs> no, she's just coming back in. She just got a, a nail trim. And oh, she was I wanted upstairs, to hear her opinions so. on Ducat and Kira. <laughs> I do like the dynamic where Ducat is so nosy and Kira is kind of reserved and they, you know, he wants to know why she's interested. Um, and it's interesting because he's asking her questions that he doesn't want to be asked. You know, like he's he's like, oh, yeah. why are you looking yeah, yeah. at this? Is there a person involved? And it's because he has all of those things and he doesn't want that to be known yet or at all. I mean, I think he'd yep. prefer it not be known at all. Yeah. And that's where it like, goes down into like that idea. Like everything with Ducat is about control mm-hmm. and power. It's like yep. to like reference a discussion I had on basic instinct a couple months ago on the monkey of my backlog podcast. Um, folks go find it. If you want to hear me talk about basic instinct for almost an hour, (laughs) um, Michael Douglas in that movie, his character sees the world as either tops or bottoms in terms of its, its relation to power. Um, right. And I don't think Ducat is totally dissimilar. I think he's, smarter than than nick and basic instinct and but not maybe as smart as Catherine Schimmel, but like he exists somewhere in that that continuity and i think you're really onto something elise in saying that he's asking those questions so narice can't somehow ask him and then he's on the upper hand or feels like he's on the upper hand because he's controlling it and he like he thinks he already knows the answers right right but it's just about if i'm talking she's not asking me questions right right? and like i don't think kira would have even asked him those questions because she seems very much to believe his okay i'm here because you know whatever reason he told her you know um and but that's his own sorry just to to jump in there but that's his own like hubris right where it's like he thinks he matters to her way more than he does no i i I agree completely um i don't think she gives a shit what's going on with him honestly no she does not um i one part of their conversation that kind of made me eye roll and was something that felt very fitting for 
for his character was basically he he tried to say that the Cardassian occupation of Bajor was great for Bajor because it made them stronger in the like what co- doesn't kill you make you makes you stronger kind of um, sentiment which I fucking hate because I'm sorry no one deserves to suffer um, and it's <laughs> like it just felt really on brand with his character um, but it's also a very humane way of inhumane sorry way of thinking in my opinion um and then (laughs) i do like also i think she was trying to get him to stop talking and he was and she was like for the rest of the trip i would like to have silent meditation and blah 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 blah. and he's like is that a request or an order and she's just like whatever it takes (laughs) to get you to shut the fuck up um but when she said whatever it takes it made me think of captain america (laughs) Yeah, that that scene reminded me of because I just recently watched True Detective season one. Oh, okay. When, when uh, Marty played, <clears throat> excuse me, where Marty goes to rest, he's like, <clears throat> sorry, fuck. Matthew McConaughey is rest. Marty is Woody Harrelson. That's his name. So when Marty, played by Woody Harrelson, goes after um, Matthew McConaughey's rest, he's like gone off this big like you know treatise of you know narcissism or you know just bleakness of life or whatever he's like let's make the car a place of silent contemplation from now on (laughs) i don't specifically remember that because i didn't finish the show but i can definitely picture that and that's really funny when kira's friend whose name i do not recall um the one who found a piece of the revenant or had it from some ferengi who i guess found it in orbit at the Zarya system, which is where they ended up going after meeting yeah. up with this friend. Um, it, I didn't remember specifically this, but for some reason I got this vibe like that her friend was like tricking her, but that was something that was just in my brain and clearly did not actually happen in the episode. Um, I don't know. I always, I think sometimes I tend to read into things a little too much and I'm like, Ooh, is this guy trustworthy or not? And then it like, obviously he was fine. Should we talk about why Ducat is so interested in the Ravnor- I... the Rav- Ravnorok? I keep on saying Ragnarok. Ravnok. Ravnok. Um, Ducat is very interested in Thor Ragnarok because he has a secret Bajoran <laughs> girlfriend, or had a secret Bajoran girlfriend, Tora Leprem. Um, I, I think the first time I saw this, it really surprised me, and the way that Kira category like Kira makes an assumption that it was just um well she says a lot of uh, Cardassian officers had Bajoran mistresses and he says it wasn't like that and I think that's an interesting comment because I don't think that the comment I don't think that the word mistress to me necessarily means that you don't love them um like yeah you can you know I guess in the 90s, or still now, the word mistress is very negative. I'm not saying that it's, like, good or bad to have one, but I just think that it's interesting that he was like, no, she wasn't my mistress, I loved her. And I'm just like, okay, she still was your mistress, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so he has this girlfriend, and he found her... um, her promise cuff or something, which is a thing I didn't know existed. And it looked like he might have also found her earring. Yeah, correct. And 
Kira had gone through the computer of the Ravenock and found out that there was also a civilian passenger named Zael Torah, right? Am I pronouncing or Torah Zael? Zael, I was saying it backwards. Um, Cardassians like Bajorans um, have their names backwards from, you know, the U.S. and Canada or the most English speaking uh, languages and works it out that Ducat has a has a a love child, which is a term I find gross, but I'm still going to use it that his family knows nothing about also yeah his like because there's there's like even you remember the there's the episode in season three um the defiant which is very much kind of like that that tom clancy-esque like episode where tom Riker seals the defiant yes, and Cisco yes, yes. has to go work with Dakot and is like oh i have seven children my son can't go to disneyland today and whatever so it's very much we got the sense that like oh yes fam- my, we know my son's imp- gonna remember that his dad saved the world or whatever <laughs> i don't remember what the comment was He'll just remember that I was supposed to take him to Disneyland for his birthday and the Starfleet there. officer came and I couldn't. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we know that family is really important to Cardassians. Yes. And Ducat has this big family off screen. And yeah, he very much cared about Tora Leprem and very much cared about Zial and was sending them away to be safe and have the best life that they could. And things went bad and he is now looking for Zial to protect his power politically and prevent the secret from getting out by um killing his 19 year old daughter he's gonna do a murder which is so fucking dark like i can't even imagine feeling this way um i mean for six years you didn't know if your daughter was alive or her mother and your first instinct is not to continue to do the plan that you were going to do six years ago by sending them away but you're going to kill them now i really think and this kira points this out in the episode but i really 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 think that ducat told kira so that she would talk him out of it I i really think that way um I know Kira says it later, but I came to it independently, um, kind of like Pete Campbell and direct marketing in Mad Men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally agree, and I think that also goes back to the idea of Ducat trying to like be the puppet master, right? And it's like he wants someone to appeal to the better, the better angels of his nature, because he can't do it independently but then he can shift some of the accountability for that decision onto someone else, right? What a, so, what a wuss. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's his, that's his MO. And, like, Mark Alamo plays Ducat really well. And, he like, he does have this charis- charismatic swagger to him that, like, you're like, this guy's terrible but also i don't hate that he's on screen yeah you know like i I don't like again i don't like ducat but like i'm so happy when it's a ducat episode honestly like i really enjoy even just the cardassian lore like i just I, i find that really interesting he's really what you want in a villain in that he's complex and has those those layers and like i mean we could another time have a discussion about him in contrast with kai win 
and Louise Fletcher's portrayal of Wynne, which I think also rules, but like for very different reasons. And like, it's not that Wynne doesn't have layers. She just doesn't seemingly occupy the same sort of space as like right. an antagonist in the series as Ducat so, does. Because the... we really don't know where Ducat stands. We know where, where Wynne stands right, right. 90% think, of the time. Yeah, and I think the difference for me, if if I was going to say it in like a sentence or two, is that occasionally Ducat's interests align with ours. And so we occasionally have to work. I say we, like we're part of Deep Space Nine because we are, we live there, we love it. Um, so occasionally <laughs> we have to work with him to to you know get where we need to go but kai win is usually yeah. pretty much on a different plane of existence than us um diametrically opposed yeah foes. <laughs> exactly so like that's the difference between them for me i mean for the most part that's really narrowing it down to like one issue but they're both no they're i think that's great. that's good i think that's very correct and apt thank you i love being apt Before we move on really quick to when they actually find the survivors of the Ravenock, I just want to say that there's a scene where they're in that cave getting, like, rest, where Ducat sits on some sharp thing and is going hysterical, and I I said it earlier, and I really think that this scene was needed in the episode because of how serious everything was. Um, but him screaming, get it out while like wriggling around. And, and like, I just think that the ep- that scene must've been really funny to, to film. Um, and him not like realizing how that like regenerator thing works and saying it's wor- they're broken. And like, they're both just hysterically laughing and his like, when it finally starts working and he's like moaning, like it almost felt sounded sexual to me. He was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was just really funny. Um, I love that scene, and I just really enjoy physical humor, so it, that worked for me really well. When they eventually find the survivors of the Ravenock, they're being held by Breen guards, and um, we find out that Kira's friend unfortunately died two years ago, um, but Ducat's daughter is alive. And the prisoners have, I guess, I don't know if they've been there for six years and the Breen have been there for six years, like they just treating them this way, but they don't know that the peace, that there's a peace treaty between Bajor and Cardassia. They don't know the occupation is over. So to see a Cardassian and a Bajoran come to rescue them together, or at least, I mean, I don't think that Dukat cared about rescuing anyone, but you know, from their perspective, these two people came to rescue them, really shook them and surprised them a lot. I mean, they've given up. It'd been six years, right? Yeah. The good news is, Ducat doesn't kill Zial. <laughs> yes. and he does take her home. And he's like, consequences be damned. We'll deal with it. Yeah. He decided, you know. I mean, I don't, I really don't remember what happens with all of that. But that was the right decision. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll get there. Maybe I'll remember while I'm watching it and be like, oh, yeah, I remember this. We'll have we'll have lots to talk about in the coming weeks and I don't know at this point probably years because we took an an extended hiatus between seasons. <laughs> we love living our lives, people. But yeah, I was really glad that he that she didn't um, die. But like you knew, Kira was not going to let that happen, even if he really attempted to do it. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on in the main plots before we move to the next segment? I do not believe so. 
It's now time for the Altair Water Thirst Quencher. Altair Water first being mentioned by Dr. McCoy in Star Trek 3. Elise, who are you thirsting for this week? I think at the end of the episode where Ben finally tells Cassidy how he feels about her and they're just like being really cute and she's like, yeah, I was going to take this job anyway. It just made me like really <laughs> happy and I was really into it. And I am thirsting for their relationship to continue. I don't know if that's how that we word love works, a man who can share his feelings. Yes, we do. Even if it takes him 24 hours to finally get there. <laughs> what about you? Well, but before that, though, I say it takes 24 hours for, for him to get there. In other words, it's been a long road <laughs> getting from there to here. <laughs> oh, I miss I miss Enterprise. <laughs> My nominee for the Altair Water Thirst Quencher this week is the timing and the... Yeah, the, the comedic timing between Julian and Jadzia when they're they're chatting with ben and you know doing that and asking well did you say very big step or just like you know and it just it's yeah, yeah i i really like that the last couple seasons they've thrown away the like you know unrequited yeah. julian thirsting and chasing jadzia around and like i said earlier generally being horned up and just has this like really cool like platonic intimacy that's yeah, like, like developed between really them good. yeah yeah. Yeah, I like that as well. So I think my candidate for most Star Trek thing is we have a surprise child. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Ki- kind of like that has, again, we know that's kind of how Alexander mm. Worf's son is introduced in Next Generation. It's like, hey, surprise, you have a kid. Yeah, um, I just again, this isn't a surprise to Dukat, yeah. but it was, it's a um, surprise to us as the audience. I just watched that episode reunion where um, where Worf meets Alexander and um, Kaler gets murdered by um, Doras and ugh, my heart. And then also there's a later, I can't remember if it's season six or season seven mm-hmm. episode of Next Generation where Picard may or may not have a surprise son. Same sort of things. I won't I won't spoil the episode, but but uh yeah, that that's a, a plot that definitely happened. And then spoilers for the final season of Star Trek Picard. Um, yeah. he does have a surprise son. It's just not the one from <laughs> not the one we knew next generation. Before. It's a different surprise son. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I've actually worked out that my most Star Trek thing is having to pretend that Kira and Dukat can be in the same room together. <laughs> Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Yeah. No. Fair enough. Awesome. Well, until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Storygraph at chicken double underscore tendy. That's T-E-N-D-I. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well as at Maddie Hugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can find me on us together on Twitter and Instagram at PodWraiths, or you can email us at PodWraiths at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. Um, we are having a couple of issues with Pocket Casts currently. So you might, if you use that, you might have to listen to our podcast on the Castos website for now. We are trying to get that worked out. 
Thank you again to our editor, Melissa, and DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye. Bye.